Welcome to the Music of America podcast, where every week we visit a different state in America and meet a different guest in the music industry. Every day, Monday through Friday, we begin in Alabama and we end in Wyoming. I'm your host, Tom Pollard. Let's talk music here on the Music of America. And the Music of America podcast wraps up our week in Arizona. We go to Tempe, Arizona, and we're going to be talking with the last train to Juarez and frontman, Dayan Knezovich. But we'll be with him after we talk about this. If you ever find yourself in Tecumseh, Kansas, make sure you find a place called Monkey House Guitars. Monkey House Guitars is a small, made-to-order guitar shop. If you can think it, they can build it. Some of the best, beautiful, handmade guitars you'll ever see, meticulously designed and crafted, all for your specs. Nothing by machine, handmade frets, everything routed and sanded in the shop at Monkey House Guitars. The Multiverse Guitar, singularly one of the most innovative and interesting guitars I've ever seen being made. And I could see it be made through the photos that he posted at Monkey House Guitars' Facebook page. Luthier Mike Thompson, an amazing artisan. Check out his Facebook page. Check out his website. Now he has a website. So it's Monkey House Guitars. Monkey House is all one word. Monkey House Guitars in Tecumseh, Kansas. If you can think it, they can build it. And I'm talking right now with Dayan from Last Train to Juarez. And while we're talking, the interviews that we do are on Zoom. So I get the joy of actually getting to see people. And it's an audio-only broadcast, but right behind you, you have a guitar hanging on your wall. It looks like it might yes. be. Is that a Strat or no? What is that? No, it's actually an Ibanez. Oh, it is an, an Ibanez. Old, okay. old Ibanez. That's actually one of my first guitars that I used in my metal days. Oh, really? So you're an old... another one over here. Okay. That okay. was my that was my main player in my last metal band. That's a, a limited edition uh, ESP Jeff Hanneman guitar from Slayer. Uh, it was it was made to commemorate him, but uh, he he passed away probably about a month after I bought that guitar. So uh, now it's a wall hanger. Yeah. <laughs> I've got the hooks, but I just don't have the guitars on them yet. You know, <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, yeah, my house is pretty much filled with them. I mean, if you look around, I got a couple. There's a couple over there. Oh yeah, you got a banjo, got, got a ukulele. Oh yeah, you do yeah. have a few. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and then they're scattered around the house. I mean, one of my favorite guitar jokes. You know how many guitars a guitar player needs? <laughs> How many? One more. Yeah, yeah, that's about accurate. <laughs> <laughs> I had my fill. I've got, I think I'm at 19 or 20, and I said, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. I live in Vermont in the summer and in Missouri in the winter. I don't have a 12-string up here. So I went uh, on Facebook Marketplace, and I found a guy that had a 12-string. You could probably shoot arrows with it. It's The neck needs so much love, you know? Oh, wow. <laughs> <That's like laughs> but, yeah, yeah. But it gives me the 12-string flavor that I want when I want to strum a 12-string. There you go. So, Dayan, you said metal, but Last Train to Juarez is not a metal band. So what's, That's correct. What's your transition? What was your, like, when did you start? And how did you go from this point to this point to this point to this point? Oh, man, uh, I started in metal about when I was 16 years old. I've been pretty active in the Phoenix metal scene for the better part of the last 30 years. I started off in the 90s with a band called Four. And uh, we had a good run, man. We had a we had a great run. We were a three piece for a while, eventually a four piece. Did some great opening acts for some nationals. Uh, some of them who were my heroes. Man, I don't know. I think maybe uh, as my pedal steel player says, uh, uh, they say country music is where metal guys go to die. <laughs> um, 
You know, I don't know if that's true or not, but for me, for me, my rationale was a little different. Uh, about five years ago, I, I was just getting burnt out, man. Uh, nothing against metal. I love metal. Uh-huh. I played metal my entire life, right. man. Slayer and Sepultura and, and some of those bands are some of my favorite bands. Hatebreed, uh, Terror, you know, some of my favorite bands. But uh, as I got older, man, it just, I, I found something lacking. I, it just wasn't hitting that spark anymore. Around 2014, 2013, 2015, I got introduced to the, to the kind of the red dirt Texas country mu- uh, music. I am not a, uh, I wasn't born, uh, I'm going to say, uh, in a household that was country music. Uh, yeah. it, it, well, I, I take that back. There was a lot of country music. It was another country's music. It was Serbian yeah. music. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I was I was raised on a lot of Serbian music, foreign music, and but country music was never on my radar till I was older. Literally till about ten years ago. Yeah. Um, I started I started listening to a lot of. Uh, I got introduced to the, the music of Cody Jenks and Ward Davis and Jamie Johnson, of course. Uh, the, the red dirt Texas country kind of sound. I was never a Nashville guy. I was this year years old when I heard Red Dirt, and now I've heard it half a dozen times. Oh yeah, yeah. It's a uh, for me, like I said, uh, prior to my introduction to Red Dirt and Texas country, country music wasn't even on my radar. Like I was, I was not a fan, not even of '90s countries, '90s country music. Uh, of course, you know, I was aware of the original Outlaws, Waylon, Merle, and all that, but I, I can't say that I grew up on that stuff. I didn't. I'm a convert, 100 percent a convert. Um, I got introduced to Cody Jenks and Ward, Ward Davis and a bunch of those other kind of musicians in that circle, and I fell in love with it. And then over the next four years, I was still playing in my metal band, but I, I caught myself at home strumming country music and writing my own songs. About three years ago, I finally took the plunge, jumped off the cliff and said, you know what? I'm going to start my own project. Three short years later, here we are. You know, we're grinding away, playing over 150 shows a year. You've done this for 30 years, so you know the business and you know how to do the business in Arizona, right? Yes, I do. But the metal world and the country world are apples and oranges, man. They really? operate completely differently. How yeah. so? It was culture shock for me. Well, I grew up in metal, right? And, and, and in metal, you typically form a brotherhood with your bandmates, right? And, and you guys are a literally a brotherhood. Huh. You go in on everything equally, get a jam room. We all pitch in equally. We, every, we're a team. We're in country music. I learned it's a lot different. It's mercenaries. You got higher guns everywhere. Revolving doors of musicians going in and out. And it's usually one guy who's the band leader who takes on the brunt of all the BS and expenses right. and headaches. The rest of the guys show up, play their gig, get paid, and leave. Yeah, that's <laughs> uh, funny. The band leader gets stuck with everything. It took me a while to figure that out. Now, I, I eventually, I kind of, I kind of got it. I figured that's how it works in country music, and I just embraced it. And I said, "Well, it is what it is. I'm going to run this thing like a business." I'm very familiar with that, so I set up an LLC and uh, got a you know business bank account set up, and uh, I pay my guys 10.99 as independent contractors. I absorbed the costs, and for the first two years, I was basically draining my accounts and running broke. And I invested in an RV for the band, a cargo trailer, a PA system. I mean, I'm probably over 100000 in. Wow. But we're finally starting to turn a corner, and there's a little bit of profit left over now after all our runs and shows. And I see a light at the end of the tunnel. We're slowly growing, and I figure if I stick with it, hopefully another year or two, then I, I, I can actually be making some money with this thing, too. That's amazing. A real similar thing I went through. I grew up in the 70s. I was a rock and roller. And I got into radio. And my first radio gig, I was working in Joplin, Missouri. And I was there when disco came out the next year. Disco and punk and new age or new wave or alternative or whatever was just starting to make its way. I left and I went to Wichita and I started working country music. And I'm like, I'm not a country guy. I've never been a country guy. I don't like to cry in my beer kind of thing. (laughs) <laughs> and it's it won me over, man. It's just music 
is storytelling, but the stories are told so much differently with much more passion, I think, in country music because they rely so much on the lyrics and not so much on the music. What do you think of that assessment? I couldn't agree more, but I'm going to add to that. I I would say everything you said is true of certain types of country music. (laughs) When it comes to pop country, I I don't even like the word pop country because what's coming out of Nashville and most of FM radio is just pop music. Mm -hmm. It's pop music. It's not pop country. It's pop music. It's just simply mislabeled, in my opinion. And I believe it's mislabeled for PR and marketing purposes. You know, they're trying to capitalize on that. But yeah, absolutely. Authentic. So I, I like to use the word authentic country. Yeah, yeah the singer-songwriter guys. I, me, me personally, I gravitate to the singer-songwriters more than the performers. This is a very unpopular thing that I'm about to say. While I think he's excellent, he's got a great voice and he's amazing, George Strait. I'm more of a fan of Dean Dillon. Yeah. He wrote all of George's music. Uh-huh. So it's hard for me, and, and I, this is not to take anything away from George Strait because he's extremely talented and he's obviously amazing. For me, I'm drawn more to the person who wrote the music, whose words represent authenticity. Again, it comes down to authenticity. So I, I'm a big fan of like Billy Don Burns. I love Josh Morningstar. These are guys who lived their words. Mm-hmm. And obviously the original outlaws. And there's guys, there's new outlaws who I refer to as new outlaws today that embrace that, that authenticity. I'm sorry, man. It just doesn't do that. And again, no, I don't like to disparage other artists, but you know, you got Luke Bryan, who I think is a fabulous pop musician. Let's face it. He's, you know, he's a mid fifties guy singing high school songs. There's not a lot of depth in his lyricism. It's party songs, which is cool if that's his thing, you know. When Chris Stapleton hit the scene, it knocked me over yes. because I said, somebody finally brought soul back to country music. And he had, he had that same thing that George Jones had. And George had uh-huh. the twang, so people ran from it. But he was soulful, man. I don't care what people say. He was a soulful singer that sang country. And Agreed. it's like... It to me it's like country lost that identity, and that's why he was so popular because he brought it. Yeah, I, I I couldn't agree more. I love Stapleton, and ironically, I brought up Luke Bryan a minute ago. I mean, one of one of Luke Bryan's one of my favorite Luke Bryan songs is uh, "Drink a Beer." Oh yeah, written by written by Chris Stapleton. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so that's yeah, something. Starting to see a trend here, Dan. Yes. <laughs> now you write your yeah, own music. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yes, I do. I write all, um, all the music that I write. Every song that's performed by uh, Last Train uh, Tours to date has been my songs. And people have asked me many times, you know, do you collaborate? Do you co-write with other people? And my answer to that, it's not no. It's a, I just haven't. I, I just haven't. I have never had the opportunity. I haven't really done it. And to be honest with you, I'm not sure how that would work. Because for me, writing is a real personal process. And I feel like when you add two, three, four songwriters, the authenticity of it fades a little bit. And then it just becomes a story mm-hmm. written by multiple writers. I mean, where's the root of what the song's about, if that makes sense? So for me, I, I, it just means more if it's almost autobiographical. Autobiographical. Um, there you go. There you go. That's what I'm looking for. <laughs> I love that it's consistent, too, because that's what you said you like most out of country music. It's not necessarily the performers. It's the people that wrote the story, not who's putting it out there. And you're able to do both. You're able to do both because you have the talent to perform. You're able to know what you mean when you say this, and I got your six, where you sing this in some road, you sing this in this letter. You felt something when you wrote that, and you're able to put that out when you perform. And somebody that writes with you... just may not get it. And, or he might be coming at it from a completely different angle that I don't get, right? Yeah. So it's going to be hard for me to embrace and internalize what he created. That's why, like, even our cover songs, 
we'll, we'll do some cover songs. We got a four hour gig. We got to fill the time, right? I can do about two and a half, almost three hours of all original right now. We'll pepper in covers, but the covers I play are songs that I love. I can't go up there and play a cover. I, I, almost every show we play, somebody requests, you know, Wagon Wheel or Friends in Low Places. Right. Or, and nothing wrong with those songs, man. I, in my opinion, they're completely overplayed, well-written songs, but they don't do anything for me. So if I go up there and, and try to sing one of those songs, I just feel like I'm faking it. And I'm not an actor. I'm more of a singer-songwriter. Right. I guess I'm the type of musician, I don't consider myself an entertainer. I'm a singer-songwriter. So right. I'm not going out and, and saying, hey, man, this is the type of crowd we're playing for. We need to cater to them. I'm, I'm actually just going out and playing what I play, hoping that I attract the like-minded people. You know, and, and in some ways, maybe that hurts us because uh, in, in the Phoenix area, if you're familiar with the country music scene, there's some fabulous bands out here and some a lot of talent. But the country music scene in Phoenix is inundated with nothing but cover and tribute acts. Wow. Very few original acts. It's hard for me. I couldn't do that. I just couldn't do that. I mean, sure, I could probably get a lot more gigs if we were willing to pepper in a bunch of top 40 songs in our set list. And then a lot of the places that won't hire us might be willing to hire us because that's what they're looking for, top 40. I can't do it. I can't fake it. So I kind of shoot myself in the foot, I guess, when it comes to getting certain gigs at certain places. Not really, but, uh, though. Not, not really. Because, again, and it gets back to authenticity, right? Mm -hmm. And Absolutely. This is who you are. And, and and when you get Last Train to Juarez, people know what they're getting. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. I just posted uh, not, not too long ago something along those exact lines. Uh, I'm totally against, I, I shouldn't even use that word. For us, I am yeah. totally against using any sort of auto-tune or backing tracks or any of that. And as we all know, that's rampant in today's music industry. I'm concerned about what's about to happen with AI, you know, how that's going to change the landscape of music. You know, it's funny. Uh, it reminds me of, you remember Millie Vanilli, right? Oh, yeah. When they got caught lip syncing. Well, when you think about it, they got stripped of their, what, their Grammy back then. Right. They, they got outcasted because they were cheating. So, you know, quote unquote, right. they were cheating. But today... Those same types of cheating tools, if you will, are embraced. No one cares. Right. No one cares if they're singing or if they're using auto-tune or if they're using backing tracks. Or, for example, we've opened some, for some acts that are country or maybe you could call it hip-hop, where it's just a DJ with, with some, some, <laughs> some digital turntables and two guys and a mic, and they're calling that country music today. Did you just call it hick? Oh, believe it or not, that's actually an industry term now. Oh, my God. That's actually an industry term. You'll hear it. Uh, <laughs> and I'll say it again, man. I mean, nothing against those artists that are doing that stuff. It's just not my cup of tea, man. It's just, I can't do it. Let's talk about you, and let's talk about I Got Your Six. It's the first. We're going to play a few of your songs, and first one we're going to do is I Got Your Six. There's such a connection between military and Americana and country music. And I got your six to me is such a military term, but that's not what this song is about. Let's talk about that. What is the song? Yeah, about? for me, about it was several years back, probably about five, six years ago. And I won't go into great detail. I had a situation where you've heard the phrase, blood is not always family and family is not always blood. No, yeah. I'm sure, you know, so what, what that basically meant to me was about five years ago, I had people very close in my life, some family that, uh, during my darkest times were not there. And I had people who had absolutely no relation to me bloodwise mm -hmm. who were there for me. So for me, family has nothing to do with blood. And that's kind of what that song was about. It was during a dark time in my life about five years ago where uh, I, I really was in a dark place and, and, and needed support from friends and family. And uh, the few people that really had my back, I got your six, you know, uh, I, it's, it's kind of saying, Hey man, you were there for me. Yeah. I'm here for you eternally um, for, for being there. But but it was also kind of written as a uh, got a, as, as a little bit of a snub to those that didn't have my back. 
You know, so instead of writing a negative term uh, and a negative song to say, hey, man, you guys suck for not having my back, I wrote a positive one to say, hey, thank you guys that did. And I just kind of left the other just kind of off the table, if that makes sense. It's a lot healthier for you, and it's a healthier song that way, too. Right? Exactly. Yeah. And they turn it into a positive, you know, turn a negative into a positive. That's so really what it is. Let's run through your bandmates real quick. And who's on this song out of your bandmates? Or is everybody on this one? For the most, well, yes and no. So the pedal steel player, yes, he's he was on that recording. I'm on the recording. Uh, my lead guitar player, we had just hired him. He's peppered in on there. So he, his parts are on, uh, in there. We probably played him live a little bit differently today because he had literally just joined the band. Uh -huh. My drummer is on that recording, but my drummer literally joined the band four weeks before we hit the studio. Wow. So, so when you hear those exact same songs live today, you'll hear some nuances that are slightly different as they gelled into those songs. Bass player? My bass player, it's a different bass player. Okay. So for some reason, man, my band's been an anomaly. They always say, you know, pedal steel players are unicorns. They're tough to find, right? <laughs> well, not for me, man. At one point, I had three pedal steel players in my band. Wow. But, but bass players for me... That's been the leprechauns, man. I can't. So I've had a revolving door of bass players since I started this project. I got a guy in here now. His name's David Yoder. He's He's been fantastic, and I hope that he's going to stick with me for the long haul. Only time will tell. Well, let's get the names of your other guys so we can give them a plug so they don't yell at you at band practice. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We got Mark <laughs> Tomio on pedal steel. We got Steven Dietrich on lead guitar. We got Brian Tiley on drums. And then we got David Yoder on bass. And... Last but not least, we got my wife, Angela Kanejevich, who handles pretty, she's the glue that keeps the band together. No she does all our booking. She does our merchandise. She's basically the house mom when we're on tour, making sure that our jackasses are eating right and taking care of each other. <laughs> <laughs> so she really is the extended member of the band. And she's got, even though six. she doesn't play an instrument. And she's got your six. And she does. She has all of ours. Absolutely. We're going to give that first song and listen here. This is Last Train to Juarez. From Tepe, Arizona, the Music of America podcast and song is I've Got Your Six. No. 
I got your six, just call. I've got your six, the last train to Juarez from Tempe, Arizona, and we'll be back and talk with Dan. I wanted to say Knezevich, Knezevich. I was talking to a friend of mine about my brother's couple's workbook called Two Years After Forever. It's sort of a how-to guide to improve your communication skills, which, as anyone in any relationship knows, is crucial. So as we spoke later in the conversation, I mentioned the book again. I said, Two Years After Forever. That's the name of the book I told you my brother wrote. And she interrupts me. She goes, oh, your brother's book. I thought you meant your brother's book, like the book you borrowed from your brother. Three little words, my brother's book, two entirely different interpretations. Well, in two years after forever, there are exercises that help you form better communicative skills to avoid pratfalls just like that. Along with your partner, learning and applying these exercises help get you back on track to why two years ago you pledged a life together forever. Two Years After Forever, available at Amazon or at their website, twoyearsafterforever.com. So, Dayan, do you have pets, kids? I do. I have uh, no pets, but I got three kids. Yeah? Are they musical? One of them. So, my my oldest, no. Uh, she's already moved out. She's 23, Maya. Uh, my son, Alexander, he's 19. He, work, he lives here at home with us. Uh, no, not musical, but he's in a bodybuilding. 
He's oh. turning into a monster. <laughs> uh, my youngest, my youngest, my 13-year-old, Liliana, she's a great piano player at 13, and she's already learning guitar. She's finger-picking. She's starting to do some songwriting. Uh, she's my little musician. Oh, one, one out of three ain't too bad. Yeah, it's not bad at all. You're going to get her on stage with you someday? Someday. I, uh, we were actually talking about it. I'd like to get her to do a duet with me or something. I Wouldn't that be cool. something? I remember a yeah. band way back in the day called The Kendalls. It was a father-daughter band. It was country. Where can, Heaven's yep. Just a Sin Away, I think, was one of their big songs, which I always thought was kind of kinky for a father to be singing that with his daughter. <laughs> but <laughs> Right, right. So we, we didn't really get there. We just mentioned that you transitioned, burned out on the metal. But how did you get started? Did you start in metal? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, professionally, yes. Um, obviously, when I first started learning guitar, I mean, I was learning, you know, classic rock, mm -hmm. CCR, kind of the old stuff. I started taking lessons. I was doing classical guitar for a while. That's where I picked up my finger picking abilities. I was really big on classical guitar when I first started. About two, about two years into that journey of learning how to play guitar, I, I met a guy uh, who's today still a good friend of mine who introduced me to metal. <laughs> so then all, all the classical and all of that theory just went out the window and I just kind of went straight metal for the next 30 years. And, uh, and I don't regret it. Don't get me wrong. I don't regret it, but I do wish that I would have stuck with my studies and stuff. It would have made me a better rounded musician today, but you know, listen, I have a, a lifetime worth of good memories and great shows and, and friendships from the metal world that I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade in for anything. You know, it's part of the journey. It's, right. it's part of why I ended up where I'm at. So you know, it happened for a reason. Have you dabbled in blues or jazz? Because country and blues are pretty um, similar. Yeah, oddly, man, um, I've never been much of a blues guy. It's for, for me, I mean, there's nothing wrong with blues, obviously. It just never spoke to me because a lot of the blues out there, it, it's so jam oriented. You know, so you go to a blues show and you got a couple rep repeated lines and then and then five minutes of guitar solo. And then it, it, for me, it just, I, again, it, I always like the singer songwriter stuff. I like a story. Right. And blues wasn't really about the story so much as it was about the jam. And, and incredibly talented uh, blues musicians out there. And, and I don't dislike it. It's just not really my thing. Jazz, um, I did. I, I, I took some forces in jazz when I was first starting out in guitar. But same thing. It never really spoke to me. It didn't. It didn't go any further than that. Yeah. You know, it was always metal and then the Red Dirt Texas Country Movement. Uh, those are the two that really spoke to me. Is there a an influence in metal that kind of carried over into country in terms of style, feel, songwriting, uh, lyrics, something like that? Or are they just so yeah, totally different? It's different worlds. For me, they're totally different worlds. Okay. Um, I, I remember when I made the shift and decided to go this direction, man, I had to relearn a lot of how I play because I always had a really heavy right hand due to metal. I mean, mm -hmm. you're playing these really chunky, you know, chunky chords and stuff and, and intricate picking patterns that I didn't have a developed loose strumming pattern that's required for country on acoustic guitar, right? And it almost seems backwards because it should be much harder to play the metal stuff than it is to just simply strum a guitar. But I didn't have the dexterity and motor capability to kind of loosen up. I just stiffened up because I was so used to playing metal. It took me a while to make that transition. But as far as writing and stuff, I don't know. I, I have always felt that metal and, and outlaw country particularly have exactly the same mentality. So for me, that transition it made perfect sense to me because they're both kind of anti-establishment rebellious and it just made sense. So a lot of my songwriting, I guess, isn't like, like a lot of the other country folks out there, a lot of country music's written about heartbreak and relationships. Right. I mean, right. you listen to so much of it and man, I think, I don't think I have a, I don't know. I don't even think I have a single, maybe a song about that, you know, one or two, but 
I tend to write about different things. And maybe that's from the metal influence, because in metal, you write about more a wider variety of subject matter than you would a typical pop country or, or typical country. I don't want to say that all country artists write just about love and heartbreak, but it's, a, it's obviously a very heavy theme in that genre. A buddy of my daughter and son-in-laws, he told Jamie, my daughter, he said, I started listening to country music the other day. And he goes, when did it all turn into lists? <laughs> And True, now, man. And now I can't listen to country music and not hear that. <laughs> it's yeah. just so funny to me that. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's. I mean, the way I see it, everything coming out of Nashville today, it just seems to be an algorithm. Yeah. You know, they found a they found a, a formula that that produces hits, and they just follow that formula. You know, I guess some people are making great money at it. Good for them. It's not limited to Nashville either. I think that's what's happened just with music in as an industry. We find yeah. this face. This body, this, this, yep. this, this, yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> because that's exactly what it is. And you know, and to me, it's it's counterintuitive. To me, it's it's actually backwards because when you think about it, country music it's it's the people's music, and it's supposed to be stories, mm-hmm. stories lived out from experience. How much experience do these young twenty year olds have that Nashville is courting? Yeah, my one of my favorite lines in an interview with Johnny Lang on uh, the Bob and Tom show on radio years ago. He was 17, 19 years old, whatever. He's an old blues, young blues player. And yeah. uh, Bob or Tom, one of them says, let me ask you a question. You're 17 years old. What the hell do you know about the blues? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and, 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 and it's, I mean, I guess that's pretty accurate. You know, I mean, think about it. When I see a, a musician that takes the stage, somebody like Billy Don Burns, for example, you know, that's obviously weathered from the road and, mm-hmm. and has a lifetime of experience. His words carry a lot more weight to me than some 23-year-old polished musician, Nashville guy, who may be extremely talented. I mean, some of these guys have voices that just do circles around mine, you know, but what they lack, in my opinion, is authenticity. You know, the words are less believable. Yeah, when when when, when a 22-year-old is singing about a lifetime of sorrow or hard times, I'm going... You're 22, man. <laughs> it's not as believable. <laughs> you know, there, there's immense, there's a lot of talent out there. Again, I don't want to disparage the musicians themselves because, you know, hey, if a 22-year-old was able to go to Nashville and cut his way in and, and get a great deal and make a living doing music, hey, good on him, man. That's right. So now, yeah. Last Train to Juarez, you, you mentioned this earlier that you kind of lead the band. You're front-loading your money into it. You've got the RV. You did this and that. So do you, do you do all your booking? Do you use an agency? Do you do everything yourself or what? Right now, we are 100% in-house. My wife does all of our booking, mm-hmm. uh, so she's on her phone pretty much all day, every day. Uh, but she's doing a wonderful job at it, man. For a band as young as ours, you know, two and a half years right. with this lineup, hey, we're getting some pretty good shows. Uh, we made some amazing contact, uh, contacts. We're getting, we're starting to do some good festival shows. We've got about 10 shows booked right now for the Sturgis Bike Rally. No kidding. Um, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, we're actually, we actually are booked at the Full Throttle. Yeah. Uh, which is a huge deal for me because I also ride with a motorcycle club here in Phoenix. So the biker world, the MC world has been a big part of my life for the better part of the last 12 years. And I've never been to Sturgis. So for me, for my first time to go to Sturgis, to be playing 10 gigs at various venues around the bike rally during that time is a huge deal for me. That's incredible, uh, dude. Seriously, yeah. that is awesome. Yeah, where we're going to be at a full throttle, side hack saloon, kickstands, uh, Glencoe, the campground, uh, Sh- uh, Shade Valley. There's some other ones, some private events, but pretty cool, man. I'm, I'm pretty excited. Oh, yeah. How did you land that? You, you know, just just my, my wife is a bulldog with booking, and we are... <laughs> We are, uh, I, I believe, in networking. I mean, it's the, everyone says this. It's the music industry. You have to be networking. So if we're not playing, we're out attending other shows, particularly 
touring shows, people who are coming here from Texas, from Colorado, from, from Arkansas, from different parts of the United States who are touring through uh, AZ. We always reach out to them. We'll go see their show. I'll offer them a place to stay at my house because I know what it's like on the road. Yeah. And uh, we build bridges. We just build bridges with other artists because, listen, those artists are in the exact same boat as we are. We're trying to eke out a living on the road, <laughs> you exactly. know, in, in very hard conditions, in very difficult conditions, trying to make this work. And, and, and I hate to say it, in a hostile industry, because this industry doesn't do much for musicians these days. I mean, there's no minimum wage for a band to play a, a bar, right? You know, I mean, right. some bars pay laughable wages, but sometimes we have to take it as a gas pickup gig just to get to the next town. That's what I was wondering. Do, so, yeah. Do, do the small honky-tonks, the taverns, the mom-and-pop shops so that you can do the bigger gigs, or do you not do those? Like well, well, listen, I'll play anywhere. Okay. I'll play anywhere. Um, and, and, and oftentimes, we'll do gigs. You know, if it's a charity, we'll do it for less. I mean, because I can honestly say every show that we've played, it doesn't matter how... Sometimes you're on that stage and you're looking out at a bunch of empty chairs, mm -hmm. and there may be eight people watching you play, right? You know, but you still got to play as if it's packed right. because I can't tell you how many times we played shows to practically empty rooms and we get off that stage and one of those eight people come up to us and say, hey, I got an opportunity for you guys. Oh, okay. So e even those shows that, that you would think are worthless, a lot of times are fruitful because you don't know who those people are. It may be, it may look empty, but that one person sitting out there might be a, a booking agent or, or, or have an event coming up that they need a band for. And it's happened many times. So, no, we'll take any gigs we can get. Of course, we're trying to push up our minimum and get this right. thing to a point where it financially makes sense. But when we're on the road, if, if we need a Wednesday or Tuesday gig, yeah, we'll play for less, man. Um, if, it fits, if it fills the RV tank and, you know, if they're willing <laughs> to feed us, we'll do it. Hey, there you that's go. fine. When you were talking there, I, I remembered playing a gig where there were like 10 people in the house. That was it. And five yeah. of them left. Yeah. And that <laughs> feeling, oh, my God, how do you how do you define that? It's discouraging, man. It's 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 defeating. It really is. And it's hard to stay up on that stage and keep your morale up when when people are walking out, you know, or but, you know, at the same time, I've, I've kind of my my skin is thickened because yeah. uh, in the beginning, we obviously played a lot more of those rooms, uh, empty rooms. Now we play a lot less of those. It's it's, it's yeah. not common that we play an empty room now, particularly in the areas where we have established ourselves. Now, naturally, like, for example, we're headed to Texas for the first time next week. Oh, really? My expectations, yeah, uh, my expectations on those three gigs, well, I don't know, man. Hopefully, I'll be surprised. Um, we did our groundwork. We did as much promoting as we can afford to do in those areas. Hopefully, sure. the clubs did some as well. But, um, you know, hey, when I don't care how established you are in one state. When you go to another state, you're starting over. You can't demand the same rate that you're making at your home state at that new state because they don't know who the hell you are. Right. You know, so we'll come in, we'll come through. Like we, we did that with Colorado. The first time we came through, we were, man, I, I lost my ass on that tour. Um, we've been there now three times. Um, now when we come through, it's better every time the crowds are bigger, it's gross. So you just got to be willing to absorb the losses in new territories where you're trying to establish yourself. Yeah. And that's, that's yeah. such a good lesson to learn or to be sharing with other musicians that when you're Absolutely. branching out, you're going to a new market, you can't get your rate. You just can't. Yeah. You're an unproven nope. commodity. So yeah. Sometimes you just got to take some road. Yeah, no, that's absolutely accurate. Yeah. <laughs> I, I said that for a reason, because the next song we're going to talk about is Some Road. and But it is, sure. it, it is accurate. There's a, a band. I, I knew a guy that used to tour in St. Louis. Highway 44 goes from St. Louis down to Oklahoma City. 
and back. So they'd stop, they'd do a show in, in St. Louis, and they'd go to Rollin, do a show, they'd go to Springfield, do a show, Joplin, Missouri, do a show, Tulsa, do a show, do two shows in Oklahoma City, back to back, and then come back and do Tulsa, and then do Joplin, and then just do backwards what they just did on the way down there. Did twice a yeah. year, twice a year, and that's all they did. And that's what I thought of. It's not some road, but it's the road. And they had a song about that, about that was the road, because that was what they did twice a year, that tour. Not quite the same as some road. So let's talk about that. Right. That one, uh, you know, I mentioned that kind of like the dark period of my life about five, four, four or five years ago. That's roughly when I wrote it. You know, so uh, it's funny. So I, I, I was college educated. I went to school. I was a computer engineer before I decided to go down this path uh-huh. and take the uh, much more difficult path, I would say. <laughs> you know, I was never a nine to five guy. You know, it just that that world never. So I, I remember graduating college. I lasted about a year and a half in corporate America and then started my own businesses. It just wasn't for me. I couldn't do it. Yeah. And unfortunately, I, I've managed to be self-employed for the better part of the last 25 years that, you know, when I hit that dark period in my life, I, I had this just nagging feeling of just wanting to get away, you know, just get on my motorcycle choose a direction and get the hell out of here. Right. And that's kind of what that song was about. It, it, it's, it's being, being, being kind of in a, in a, in a, in a point in your life where you're just not happy with it anymore. And you just need to change, whether it's a reset, a new location, just get the hell out of where you're at. And just, that's kind of what some road is about. Just choose a road and hit it and get the hell out of here. And the chorus is actually, you know, I'll take uh, two wheels down this highway or four down some dirt road. Right. You know, it didn't really matter. It's just about getting away. So right. the song's really just about leaving leaving <laughs> give it a listen the song's called some road with last train to Juarez. got me chained They say it's a living But it's just pain Pain Rolls down like rain I can't catch a break It's a southbound train I'll take two weeks on this highway or pull down that dirt road I'll go wherever it may take me this time I ain't ever going home this time
I'm leaving There's got to be some light down that dark path I live with regrets and misgivings It's best that I just leave those in my past I'll take two wheels on this highway Or fall down that dirt road I'll go wherever it may take me This time I ain't ever going home Yeah, I'll take We're going to get back and talk a little bit more with Dayon. I'm going to, you know what? I'm I'm messing up your name because I'm looking at the phonetic spelling and I know how to read Slavic. So I'm just going to look at your last name and say it the right way. And it's, uh, now I'm bragging, you know, I'm going to mess it up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Nezovich. Knezovich. Knezovich. There you go. You got it. Knezovich. Um, yeah, so much for bragging on myself. Okay, well, <laughs> you know, we've all done this before, right? We've all played a show. You find that perfect tone you're looking for, and then the club owner comes up to you and says, hey, it, it's a little too loud. Could you turn that down, right? Then everything you've been working for, for like an hour, two hours, whatever, you spent all day maybe trying to achieve that tone, that tone, the one that yeah. you've been, it's, it's your sweet spot. Well, it's gone. Well, introducing... The Lexi from Landry Amps. It's a quality boutique amp, has 100 watts of vintage plexi circuit at its core, has a rhythm crunch channel, a boosted lead channel, digital reverb, tube buffered effects loop, depth control, and an awesome, awesome voice switch. Every channel has its own gain, has its own master control, but they share the EQ. This Landry Amp has more gain than a plexi, everywhere from a whisper to concert level. And it's designed to be played at those lower le levels without losing that tone. You know, that heavy martial tone, it used to take a ton of volume just to get to that tone. You can get it now, not anywhere near the volume. The Lexi at Landry Amps. LandryAmps.com or LandryAmps at YouTube. I always ask Dan, "What's your rig? What do you?" Uh, my mine's simple. I was I was just thinking as you were talking about that. See, <laughs> technology needs to catch up so they can do something for the drums. Yeah, <laughs> that's the last, <laughs> that's the issue right there. <laughs> it took me it took me two years to get my drummer to start holding back, you know, in certain venues because some venues are just small and and they reflect sound like crazy. It took us two years to get him to hold back, but no, 
my, my rig is super simple, man. Um, I play, a, I have a Tacomini acoustic and I go DI directly into the, uh, okay. uh into the PA. Right. So I don't, I don't run an amp. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm, I'm simple, man. I've never been much of a gear hound. Yeah. I don't, I don't have a ton of pedals. Actually, I just ordered a, uh, I just got a, uh, is it L- LR bags preamp? It's an LR bag acoustic preamp. That's the only pedal I use. So Even you, in my metal days. You play acoustic. Oh, yeah, yeah, I play okay. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we kind of have more of a traditional sound. So I'm on acoustic, my pedal steel. Uh, I do have a lead guitar player, but um, not a lot of distortion. We try to keep it more uh, subdued, I guess you can call yeah. it. Uh, we're not we're not trying to do the, even though a lot of people refer to us as rock country, which maybe that's our metal influence that, that's cutting through. But, um, you know, it's not what we're shooting for, I guess, right, but it comes right. out anyway. So it is what it is. So the the last song, because this is a, I, I could talk to you forever, obviously. <laughs> and we're running a little long, so I want to go right to the next song. Okay. Sure. And you said this is kind of deep. The last song is called This Letter. I hear that phrase, this letter, and it's deep. I'm almost afraid to ask about it. So I'll just let you talk about it. It's uh I have permission to talk about this one. Okay. So uh the the I mentioned, you know, I went through a dark time about five years ago. Well, this this song gets to the core of that dark time. Um, you know, I was living life. Uh, like we all do, raising the kids, waking up, you know, going to work, coming home, everything was normal. So I thought, uh, turns out one day I wake up and where my wife would normally be laying is a letter. Uh, it was a very long letter. And, uh, so I started reading that letter. I have no idea where she's at at this point, eight in the morning, nine in the morning or something. And I'm reading through this letter and, uh, it's basically her, uh, coming clean with me that, uh, she's, uh, had a, uh, addiction to, uh, opiates pills and the way that that addiction started was her and i were trying to have a fourth child uh prior to that and uh unfortunately it kept ending in miscarriages uh she had multiple miscarriages for uh for some reason just wasn't it wasn't in our cards you know it wasn't happening fortunately we have three healthy children but the fourth one just didn't seem to be in the cards um while i was able to accept that i think it was putting a huge emotional toll on my wife and uh, after the last miscarriage, she ended up seeing the doctor. And, of course, they prescribed her Percocets for the pain. Mm. And I think the what, what happened is the Percocets was uh, masking her emotional pain more than her physical pain, if that makes sense. And it turned into a into a habit, into an addiction. I didn't know this. She managed to keep this from me for two years. Uh, she was your textbook soccer mom addict. She wasn't, you know, I, I didn't notice so she was basically just using it to to sustain, not to party or, you know, right. she wasn't getting knocked out. You know, it wasn't obvious to me. In hindsight, it is. I just didn't see the red, you know, I didn't see the red flags. But um, anyway, uh, during that time, while she was hiding it from me, let's just say that, you know, we had a restaurant at the time, which was pretty much bankrupt because she was using the funds to yeah. maintain the habit. Uh, our savings, our life savings were drained. Um, I didn't even realize it because it never occurred to me to ch- check that stuff. You know, right. I trusted her unconditionally. So I woke up that day to being floored, realizing that we're bankrupt, financially screwed, and my wife is check- has checked herself into a detox center. Um, I took a couple days and rode my motorcycle and, uh, decide, you know, trying to decide, am I going to stick with her or am I going to file for divorce? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my, de- my, my decision turned out to be to stick with her and, uh, you know, to honor my vows. And I'm glad that I did because we're stronger than ever today. Um, what that song is, this letter is that letter paraphrased. So mm-hmm. to be perfectly fair, she should probably get some of the writing credits. 
because <laughs> I literally just went, I went through the, I went through the letter and just kind of paraphrased it and turned it into a song, uh -huh. a, a shortened version of what she wrote to me. And that's what that song's about. That's where authenticity again comes in. And that's why I know you're going to be successful because it comes from life experience, comes from something genuine. You're not just, Hey, I think I'll write a song about this kind of heartbreak. This is something very real, very true, very, again, authentic to you. And, 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 and to that, you know, we were talking earlier about co-writing and stuff. How do you co-write a song like that and okay. keep it authentic? How does AI take that story you just told me and turn that into music? Right. It might be right. able to put the words in music, but it's not going to have that compassion, that flavor, yeah. the the essence of the song. Yeah, I agree. I, and I hope so. I hope AI doesn't get smart enough to be able to. <laughs> <laughs> It's I'm a technology guy, so so I see what's coming. You know, it, yeah. it does worry me. Yeah. You know, but hey, hopefully they'll they will always be fans out there who prefer the real. You Absolutely. know, over over the manufactured. So, you know, I know there's a lot of long, younger generations that today they don't really care as long as it has a beat. They don't care that it's digitally created, that none of it's real, that it's all just done on computers. They really don't care as, as long as it's enjoyable to listen to. And you know, hopefully there'll there'll always be a subset of the population that that wants the real. It's yeah. always going to make that real stuff, that authentic stuff, much more valuable. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Let's give it a listen. The last print of war is, and the last song we're going to listen to is This Letter. Been trying to write this letter. Don't think I have the strength to carry on I wake up every morning Look at you, thank the stars, you're the one Wasn't always this way I had a love for life, went away I wasn't always this way But I think I could find a way To make a change So I'm leaving you this letter When you wake I'll be gone I hope that you'll stand by me As I get some help to break what I've become It wasn't always this way I had a love for life went away I wasn't always this way But I think I can find a way to make a change
given so much to me Now it kills me to know what I've done I couldn't face my addiction Now I know I'm too far gone It wasn't always this way I had a love for life went away I wasn't always this way But I think I can find a way to make a change I can't blame that you don't trust me We both know been here before But I've hit a crossroad If I don't go now, I won't grow old Wasn't always this way I had a love for life, went away I wasn't always this way But I know I will find a way make a change So I'm leaving you this letter When you wake I'll be gone This letter with the last train to Juarez Dayon Tell me, uh, this is the section I'd call the shameless self-promotion section. So tell us where we can see you, festivals you're playing. You said you're playing at Sturgis. Where can we buy your merch? Where can we buy your CDs? Tell me. Yes, sir. We are heading on tour. We're on a five-week run. We're going to be hitting Texas, three places in Texas. We're going to be hitting the uh, Missouri, Nebraska. We'll be in Sturgis uh, for the entire rally, about 10 gigs. On our way back, we're going to be hitting Colorado. Uh, you can follow our tour schedule at lasttraindowarez.com. Um, on that website, you can also uh, purchase merchandise, which is a huge help to us. We appreciate the support. It's what keeps us on the road. Uh, we'd also appreciate it if you just visit us on our social media platforms and give us a like or a follow. We're on uh, we're on uh, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. I gave up on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I can't wrap my head around Twitter. We're on there if you want to, but uh, I don't update it much. I just can't wrap my head around it. The main ones that I'm on as Facebook and Instagram, and I'm I'm trying to wrap my head around TikTok. But I swear to God that that platform is for ADD. I just can't seem to, <laughs> I can't seem to wrap my head around it, man. But yeah, man. Um, and then um, our main areas that we play, we're we're all over Arizona, we're in Colorado often. We're we're expanding to obviously the uh, the 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 middle Southwest, and we will be making it to the Eastern Southwest. We're in Mexico once a month as well. Really? Down in Puerto Penasco. Yeah, we play in Puerto Penasco once a month, a uh, place called Wrecked on the Reef and uh, JJ's Cantina. We kind of have a residency there. We've been doing it for a couple of years now. That's awesome, man. Dayon, it's been wonderful. We can probably, we could expand this to a four-hour show and you and I could keep talking and never run out of things <laughs> to talk about. I well, love I your... appreciate, I appreciate, I really do appreciate you having me on here, man. Yeah, I, lo I love your heart. I love your authenticity and I love that you bring that 
to your craft. And I hope other musicians that don't hear this and learn that because that's that's an irreplaceable value, man. So cool. Thank you, man. Last Train to Juarez on the Music of America podcast. And that wraps up our visit to Arizona. Join us next week. We're going to Arkansas. You've been listening to the Music of America podcast. If you like today's show, please go to the website at www.musicofamericapod.com or our Music of America podcast Facebook page. Like us and follow the show and episodes. We tally the votes of all our shows, and the most listened to shows will be rebroadcast on our best of shows at the end of the season. I look forward to having you with us again and listening to the Music of America.